Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back in on Hit. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Run on the score. Joe Ostrowski, Barry Rosner with you until 1245, taking up the Cubs baseball this hour on the score. Brought to you by Horwitz and Horwitz, Illinois' top personal injury lawyers. Before we get to the White Sox and many other Cubs things, last uh, last Sunday, I believe it was, Jake Arrieta after the, oh, <laughs> before, before, I get to it, before I get to it, Eli, this is, uh, I, have, I have several Bob Nightingale tweets of the week. Usually it's just one tweet of the week. <laughs> this, is, this is last Sunday. Jake Arrieta seethes. After Phillies get swept by Cubs, scoring one run in 29 innings. Um, they didn't play the Cubs last weekend. That was the, who was that? The Giants they got swept by last I was weekend? I so confused. Yes, out in San Francisco. And then there was this, the draft is over, colon. All 30 teams pass for 40 rounds, period. Luke Heimlich is not picked. I had to read it five times. Pass what? All 30 teams Ooh. passed for 40 rounds, meaning no team picked anybody for 40 rounds? Yes. And then Luke Heimlich is not picked. Okay. Now I got it. Would you like to be his editor? Well, he writes his own tweets, so no one's editing I don't. That, I want him to send the drafts to you. <laughs> send them to Cody. <laughs> <laughs> send them to Cody. He enjoys that work. Uh and then there was this. The sizzling Washington Nats are going to get even better with outfielder Adam Eaton reinstated from the DL after missing the last 51 games. This was like within minutes of saying Steven Strasburg was going on the DL. They get even better. It's a scheduled tweet. Leave him alone. Wow. That old man. So I guess we're not having him on anymore, right? I don't know. This is good. Hey, in that MLB draft coverage... What do you think of Harold Reynolds? Uh, I, uh, you know this. You're you're baiting me now. You're baiting me. I'm not going to take the bait. I'll just say that I didn't watch one minute of it because uh, there was a Stanley Cup final game on, and you know how much I hate Harold Reynolds. I so. foolishly give it a shot every single year. Well, Maybe year- they'll figure it out. Maybe it'll be okay. They're, they're, they're promoting the hell out of it. Like You can't watch MLB Network for a second without hearing about the draft. And then it's just awful. Just awful. Put Jim Callis on the desk, please, somebody. We went from a six foot six third baseman to a five foot eight second baseman. What do you think of Magical? Oh, I think he's magical. I've been saying that all the time. Yeah, because he scouted him and he knows him, right? That's, that's my problem. That's the funniest part about the MLB draft. If you don't know MLB, what makes me think that you know the draft? <laughs> That's my problem. He won an Emmy. 
Oh my God! He won an Emmy Seriously. as the best studio analyst in sports. <laughs> so what bad. is he analyzing? I mean, you know what? Honestly, you watch it every night. I said this. Said this when it said it when it happened. It's it's just absolutely perfect for for the world we live in today. I mean, everything is backward. Everything. I mean, it's just perfect that he would win an Emmy. The worst guy on TV, maybe next to Pierre Maguire. <laughs> oh, jeez, of course, a Pierre the, shot. The, the um, yeah, the gratuitous Pierre shot. Well, he's horrible. I mean, also should not be on TV. Serves no purpose. Serves no purpose. Adds nothing to the broadcast, and that's Harold. Adds zero to the broadcast. He doesn't watch any games. Doesn't know anything. Adds nothing. You got all these great people on that station. So many great analysts. How Name good, one. How they're good, better. Name one. How about Pedro? Like, uh, you know, here's a Hall of Famer who you would think would have no interest in doing this or any interest in watching games and learning things and wanting to know and wanting to teach. And every night that he's on, not only does he know the players he's talking about, but he wants to teach and he informs you. He tells you things you didn't know. Smoltz does it all the time. Police Act does it all the time. Darling does it all the time. Al Leiter does it all the time. DeRosa does it all the time. Cliff Floyd. Carlos Pena. I mean, they got a dozen guys who are really good, and Harold Reynolds wins. Wins the. I don't, you probably you probably don't remember the, or never saw the movie Broadcast News with William Hurt, but for those of you who have, this is where we are. This is where we are in the world. It's just perfect. I mean, it's like the dumbing down of our society, just just one little drip at a time. You bring up Pedro, and it reminds me of a Rod. Uh, making the move to Sunday Night Baseball. And I saw this this week. So comparing ratings to one year ago, Sunday Night Baseball, would you guess with A-Rod there in Vascursion, they're up or down? Um, Would they be up or down from, uh, I don't even remember, uh, Aaron Boone. I would say up. Uh, okay, you say that up. Yeah. They are way down. Wow. Way down. And that is because? I don't know. Well, look at these. I'll, I'll give match recent matchups, and I'll tell you how far down from a year ago. Okay. Uh, Boston-Houston down 18% from Cubs cards a year ago. Uh, Boston-Houston. Last should, week. Which, which is marquee. Yeah. Down was it, was 18%. It, was that up against the NBA on Sunday night? May have been. May have been. Um, and I don't know if that Cubs-Cardinals game was up against the NBA. Before that, Giants-Cubs. Down twenty four percent from Mets Pirates the year before. Uh, Cleveland Houston down thirteen percent. Washington Arizona down thirty five. Cubs Cardinals. Now there was a rain delay. Remember that? Mm-hmm. But it was it was down forty percent, forty percent from the year before. I you know I'm just guessing here. I and I I I don't even know how many Sundays there have you know LeBron has been on. You or, think it's been the NBA or the Warriors have been on? But I, I'm guessing some of those might have been that. But I honestly don't know the answer to that. I think A Rod's really good. I think he's really good. It 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 should be a two man booth he's though. He's not drawing I mean, eyeballs. Well, um, your your color guy isn't supposed to, is he? Is he supposed to bring in ratings? Well, the game brings in I mean, ratings. There, there's ter- I don't think your play-by-play guy is either. There's terrible broadcasts going on all around the game. All around the game. 
terrible. But but I'm, I'm terrible. Good games are yeah. not drawing either, and that's the that's the event. I'm gonna have to think about that. But Indians I, Astros is not drawing. Yeah, I'm gonna. I I, I got to think there's something else at play here. Okay. And I don't know if it's what they're up against, or if, or if it's just now. Now moving forward, let's see if it continues. Because what are you up against now? Everything's over. Yeah. Well, I I just know this. A Rod's really good at it. He's really good at it. Um, but it should be a two man booth. It should be whoever you're. And you know, maybe people don't like Vascursion. I mean, he is kind of smarmy. I happen to like him, but I, I don't have I an know, issue with him. I know okay, a lot you, of people. I know a lot of people don't. You don't like I, so you don't like Mendoza. Um, I don't have. A, I don't. I don't think she adds anything. Well, or, there, or get, I mean, there's just not enough room. There's no room for a three man booth. You're not going to well, get. The, and you're going to Buster only. You're not going to. You're not going to get the best of her, or you're not going to get the best of a Rod when you do a three man. But everybody is so afraid of stepping on somebody else's toes. You're not getting the best right. of theirs. So if you want to try her with Vascursion, go ahead. Or you want to try a Rod. With Vascursion, go ahead. But you're not getting the best of anybody doing that. And everyone's so sensitive now. And everyone's <laughs> afraid of getting in trouble. And so they're they're just – everyone defers. You can't have her and Vascursion on Sunday Night Baseball. Sounds like a bad idea. Sounds like <laughs> a bad idea. We'll get, to the, we'll get to the Arietta stuff in just a second. Doug in Beloit, Wisconsin, wants to talk to us. Hey, Doug, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. I, I just wanted to thank you, Barry, for not liking – here, McGuire. I, I thought I was. <laughs> Who likes him? I don't. I don't think anybody Nobody. does. I'm, I, I would extend that to Doc as well, Mister Verb. I he seems like a nice guy, but too many verbs. Too Doug, verby. if you didn't have Pierre, though, how would you know who went to Shattuck St. Mary's? <laughs> Amen. Inside. Well, I really you? enjoy your guys' show. So thank you. Carry Doug. on. Thank, thank you. Doug. Thanks for the phone call. I love Doc. No, nobody. I likes love Doc. Me. Yeah, Doc is good. Doc yeah. is good, and Doc and Eddie are are terrific. What is, what what purpose does <laughs> what purpose what you're just we're going across these the national broadcasts and we're just slicing people out. Okay, yeah. You, you want to get rid of him? You yeah. want to get rid of her? And yeah. Let's cut it down, Pierre. We're trying to save it. money for America, right? I mean, seriously, everybody's having cutbacks. You, so. you have you have one of the best color guys in the history of hockey on a national broadcast in big moments trying to explain to you why this play happened the way it did. And what's great about Eddie is he's not just watching exactly what's happening in front of the net. He saw why the play developed in the first place, and he's still watching the trailers. He knows the trailer's coming, and he's even he'll even sometimes say it if Doc will give him a second, watch a trailer, watch a trailer, because he's seeing everything. He's seeing the whole ice. That's, that's what a good color guy does. And Pierre just jumps in in the middle of it and, and just and just does the replay. He just, does he have a lot left? Oh, I'm sure he does. Well, my favorite. All po- he does is tell you what just happened. Oh, we saw it. Let the guy who knows how to do it speak. My favorite part. You is, bring nothing. You add nothing. Well, you add zero to the broadcast. And he tries to be involved in the conversation. And when he throws it back up to the booth, he, he br- tries to bring Eddie in. Right, Eddie or Eddie? What do you think about this? Nothing. It's just dead silence, and then Doc picks it up. Literally dead air. Yeah, every time. Yeah. So how well, do you that's think, the, that, that's, think Eddie feels about him? Well, I don't think you have to guess. It's pretty obvious. Well, you just took the replay. You said everything there is to say. It's like it's like asking somebody a three-minute question and then saying, comma, right, question mark? 
all the time. What's left? What's left to say? You took the replay, and then you go, right, Edzo? Of course there's, of course there's dead air, because he's thinking, you moron. You just took the replay. You left me nothing. What do you want me to say? He brings nothing. He adds nothing. It's kind of like us getting into a heated conversation, and then you just pull up a phone call in the middle of it for no reason. Like, what? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I want to talk about the uh, the Seattle Mariners in the middle of our Cubs convo. What? I need to apologize to the Mariners. Just stop. We're not even halfway through the season. Oh, I know, I know. It's a Scott Service thing. I get it's it. It's not a Scott Service oh, thing. Oh, you like, oh, third base coach Scott Brocious. Love him. I don't even. Talk about that for a second. I, talk about that for a second. I don't even, I don't even like Scott Brocious. <laughs> I don't even know he was out with Mad Dog. What's your take on that? He was out with Mad Dog. That's why I came to mind. <laughs> so he's the third yeah, base coach of the Mariners, that. and he's just going through the '90s Yankees the entire interview. Like, why'd you oh, have he's, him on? Oh, he's reliving the dynasty. Yes, yes. And here's a guy who's. Let's get th- that bunt down. <laughs> no, he did not. He did not. Well, he asked him about the bunt. Yes, he. He's the third base coach for the Mariners. They've they they got forty I know, I know, wins. I know, I know. <laughs> he softened it about a, the bunt. He softened really, it a little you bit. Really, really, yeah, really, he did a terrible job on that bunt. I don't know what you guys. Uh, yeah, everybody's mad and uh, talk, talk about that for a second. No, he, he did the classic move of okay, you're going to ask a tough question. You know, I don't want to do this, but the Yankee fan wants to know. Yeah. <laughs> What happened 20 years ago? <laughs> yes. Man. That's bad. That's bad. <laughs> I can't wait to get him on the show. Still waiting, Eli. Da, ba, da, ba, da. Eli, 15 minutes ago. <laughs> Joe's waving his arms and pointing. Yes. Thoughts there. What can you tell me on that? It's great for radio. It's wonderful. Mad Dog waves his arms and points everywhere. One day they were talking about they were talking about shooting the arrow at the end of the game. DeRosa was. Have yeah. You ever seen their crosstalk? No. They, they don't do it very often, but occasionally they'll I've never do seen it. They'll do a minute with him just to promote his show. <laughs> of course, it serves no purpose. Uh, as you, what, as what's you know. the what's the morning show that you like? I always forget the name. MLB Central. MLB Central, yeah. And they'll do they'll do just a minute with him. What's coming up? And I mean, <laughs> he's DeRosa, screaming. DeRosa has the best time with him. He has the best. And DeRosa is just he's phenomenal. I I really wouldn't be surprised if if he's like an, he's the next celebrity manager. It makes all the sense in the world as long as you're that as long as that's what you're doing. It makes all the sense. Theo in the world. wanted to bring him in yeah. here, so they're doing crosstalk and. <laughs> They're 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 talking about the arrow at the end of the game. Yeah, with the Rodney. save, and he's doing some. He's he's with both hands. He's pointing guns <laughs> as he's doing the arrow as Mad Dog <laughs> and Carlos Pena and DeRosa <laughs> what he's doing. and Lauren Shahadi are laughing so hard, and they can't. See, he doesn't have the monitor. They do, yeah. so he can't see how hard they're laughing. But he's doing. He's pointing two guns in the air. Let me ask you a question. That's not what he does. 
It's an arrow. He's doing. He's pointing two guns up into the sky. Oh, it would be. I would just laugh the entire time when I was working the White Sox broadcast, and whatever team Rodney was on at the time, I was hoping they were beating the Sox only so Ed could just go off on Rodney about the arrow. Just references it the entire ninth inning every single time. I can't wait for it. Just to oh yeah, just great. All right, I'm. Uh, I right, blew the save. Where's the arrow? Yeah. <laughs> Where's your arrow now? Okay, I don't know what happened to DJ, this. Does it remind you of when you pitched? Yeah. All right, uh, Eli. Eli has some things I asked him to get. So we're going to do that next Ugh. With uh, regarding Jake Arrieta. We'll get to that. We'll get to that next. We got Nick Hossettler, bottom of the hour. We, there's a lot of White Sox stuff to get to, including Carlos Rodon and, and many Cub things as well, as once again, we have gone off the rails, and uh, I apologize for that. I'll just say, as usual, it's Joe Ostrowski's fault. I'm Barry Rosner. You've got hit and run on the score. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Welcome back in on Hit and Run on the score. That's Joe Ostrowski. I'm Barry Rosner. Hi. Hi, Joe. Need legal advice by a reputable attorney? Yes. Send questions you want answered to wbbmnewsradio.com slash legal advice. And look online for free legal Fridays with Horowitz, Horowitz, and Associates. That's wbbmnewsradio.com slash legal advice. Joe... I don't know if you saw last Sunday. Eli, can you just play? Jake really Harriet. Really bad. Really bad. We've had bad defensive shifts. Uh, we had a check swing. King Ray should have gone to second on that play. Um, then they got three hits in a row. Well, we're the worst in the league. <clears throat> with chefs, so we need to change that. Copy the copy the best. I, I, I don't know. That's not my job. Use your use your eyes. <clears throat> Make an adjustment and be and be better. That's we need some accountability all the way around. Everybody, top to bottom, scored one run. Yeah, that's not good. This is a, this is a, a key moment in our, in our season. You know, we, we we had a pretty good April, pretty good May. June isn't starting out so well. Let me hear your thoughts on that for charity. Go ahead. For charity, <laughs> right? Yes, yes. Uh, I thought uh, I thought that was really unnecessary by Jake Arrieta to basically bury everyone. Yep. Everyone. Yep. I mean, I I think he his got manager. I think he his got teammates. Yes, I think he got everybody. Right, people above his manager. Yeah, working on all the data. Sure. Specifically, when it comes to the manager, you have a really young, inexperienced manager who had a really rough start but has rebounded nicely, is using more of his own imagination, using more of his his communication skills with his players to make decisions, 
really rebounded nicely and sort of was starting to get it back together. Certainly. It's a really bright guy, Gabe Kapler. This is a really bright guy who could have a huge future in spite of, you know, that that first week of the season. And now you got this veteran guy who is a big presence. He's a he's an enormous presence in that clubhouse. And he just... You give him 75 just, mil, he walks in with the ring, he's got the Cy Young, so he carries a lot of weight with, with his teammates. And he just he just cut the legs out from under yeah. the manager. Yeah. That's a bad look. I don't approve. I don't approve. You know, there's ways to go about sending messages, and I know you're mad because you're, you're having a bad stretch and you're not very good at what you do anymore. But that's a bad look. That is the, the exact opposite of what you're supposed to do. As that guy. And even though he's had a low ERA this season, which is the first thing a lot of people will still look at, we know. We've been we we've seen it. We talked he's, he's not the old Jake Arietta. We talked about it right a couple yeah. weeks ago. Yeah. Like, oh, see, he had another good outing. Yeah. No, 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 no. We're starting to see it now. It's all it's all coming apart. And yeah. then last night, bad again. He gets pulled with the bases loaded at 106, 107 pitches like that, and um, the next guy hits a grand slam, and uh, not a uh, not a good night for the Phillies. Not a good night. And what did he do again last night for Jake Arrieta? And uh, yeah, it was bad last night. And here he was after the game. I told him I was uh, in good enough shape to uh, to get him out. Um, emphasis on pitching some of the guys in to uh, eliminate, let him get extended, and just the second time of the day ran one in a little bit too far and caught him. Um, you know, it was a grind, but. Uh, I, it, it was it was my job to uh, maintain the lead and to get through that sixth. And I knew after that point I'd have to hand the ball to the bullpen. It was just it happened a little prematurely, but uh, it was tough. How about that for a sec? Not as bad as last week, but still. What what does he mean by it happened a little bit prematurely? Do you mean on his own end, or is he saying that the manager pulled me prematurely? On being pulled. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought too. Yeah. So another shot at Kapler. I thought Gabe Kapler handled it really well last week. I would not have been <laughs> as generous as he was when it came to dealing with Jake Arrieta. Did remarks. he have an option? Because it was Jake Arrieta week, it was celebration, and then so what happens if during Jake Arrieta week, for those three, four days, his manager comes out and rips him? So now that's part of the story, and that's what he's asked about all week in Chicago, Here's too. what I would have said. I would have said he's a veteran guy who deserves our respect. He's won a World Series. He's won a Cy Young. He commands a lot of attention in this clubhouse. But everyone else here also deserves his respect. And going forward, that's what we would expect from him. How's that? It's fair. Okay. It's fair. Um, you don't in Philadelphia, have to, you, you that's don't, a firestorm, though. Well, you know what, though? Here's the thing. There are post holes in your in your time as a player, as a coach, as a manager, as a GM, as a team president, whatever it may be, there are post holes, and that's one of them for Gabe Kapler. And if at that point you don't stand up for yourself, I'm not sure that you ever get that back, if you get that opportunity back. I'll tell you this. If he does that a week ago, I don't think Arietta makes that comment yesterday to keep that thing going. I think you're probably right. Yeah. I think you're probably right. Um, all right, we got to take a quick time out. When we come back, we'll talk to Nick Hostetler, White Sox scouting director. We'll talk about the draft, talk about some guys in the White Sox system. We will get to Carlos Rodon, and there's 
Many more Cubs issues that we need to discuss with you who are on hold. We'll do that next on Hit and Run on the Score. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Welcome back in on Hit and Run on the Score. Barry Rosner, Joe Ostrowski with you until 1245. Right now, let's go out to the Score hotline where we're joined by White Sox scouting director Nick Hostetler. You can follow him on Twitter, at Nick Hostetler. And you can hear him right now on Hit and Run. Hey, Nick, thanks for joining us today. Good morning, fellas. How you doing? We're doing great. So uh, you're probably taking a deep breath. Crazy long process to get get to the draft, get through the draft. What are your general feelings about how you made out in 2018 versus what you thought you might be able to do going into it? It was it went well for us. I, I felt really comfortable in the fact that you know we set out with a plan uh, really back back about this time last year with how we wanted to attack uh, the 2018 draft, and we wanted to make sure that we were um, we were getting as many looks as need be. We wanted to make sure we were spending uh, more time than ever on the off the field makeup, um, even the on the field makeup part of it. And just trying to dig more, try to get as much information as possible, and and I really felt good about the the process that we went through, how we did it, how our guys worked through it, uh, the effort put into it, and then, you know, come come draft right, draft night, you really never know uh, what's going to happen until uh, until you get punched in the face after one of those picks that you're waiting waiting to get goes, and then you adjust. And I thought our guys did a terrific job. We were prepared, and then we were really happy with the uh, outcome of it. You guys are certainly adding depth, more depth, more depth, and that's uh, your number one job right now to every level of the system. How important is positional flexibility for you? You know, it's important in the sense that it gives, uh, ultimately gives the player a better opportunity to progress through a system. It gives it more value, uh, gives a guy, you know, if he can play multiple positions, obviously that's going to give give a manager uh, more opportunities to get the bat in the lineup. So, you know, I think in regards to uh, some of the players that we took that are able to play multiple positions in, in different spots on the field, I think it just it just adds to adds to the the process of what we're trying to do as far as depth at, at each position. That, that kind of if you know we end up with a surplus of position of players at one position, we can we can shift that player to another and get that bat in the lineup, and that that's huge in this. It's it's all about getting that offense in that lineup and making sure that um, you know that we've got spots to play these guys. When it comes to you and and three guys are off the board and Nick Madrigal is there, is there any hesitation on your part? There wasn't on my part at all. There wasn't on anybody in that room's part. Uh, we we had spent so much time talking about these players, and you almost feel like you're personally connected with them at the end of this. And, and you almost it's really odd because you see a Casey Mize or a Joey Bart or a Alec Bohm go off the board in front of you, and you are you're truly genuinely happy for the kid because you've gotten you spent so much time around them. You spent so much time seeing them play that you do feel like there's some sort of a connection there and, and you do root for the player. So, you know, when, when Nick got, when we had, were ready to make our pick and Nick was the available, um, it was a no brainer. It was a consensus in the room. Uh, that was our guy. So we were very excited about it. I think there was some uh, clapping, there were some hugs, there were some fist pumps and, and along all those things, along those measures, but we were really happy Nick got to us. Of course, a lot of Sox fans all year want to know, when's Eloy coming up? When's Kopech coming up? When's Cease getting bumped up? What is that process like when it's time to move up a level? Who's involved in the conversation? And, and, and what are some of the things that are weighed? Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. No, yeah, most of the 
um, you know, it, Chris Getz is, is going to head that, and and Getzy has his pulse on all of that, and and when that time comes, and obviously all of us are watching uh, from afar, whether it be box scores or game reports or anything along those lines, and you know, Getzy heads that up, and then he'll he will speak to Rick and uh, and Jeremy Haver and Kenny, and and they'll sit down and and they'll hash it out and discuss what the best timeline for that player is, and look. Play, the the positive thing about all of this is, and, and sometimes it's hard to be patient, is the fact that these players are are pushing the envelope a little bit. They're they're forcing the hand a little bit, and that's that's what we want. We would rather that rather than guys sitting in the minor league struggling and want to know what's wrong. So, you know, Getsy will Getsy will handle all of that. He's the point person there, and, and he'll get with Rick, and they'll sit down and, and decide when's the best time when that that player's checked all the boxes in the minor league level. Visiting with White Sox scouting director Nick Hostetler for a few minutes here on Hit and Run. Nick, when you were in studio last year, you told a great story about how you stole Alec Hansen and and how you felt such shame for hiding him and then stealing him. No, of course, uh, you felt very good about that. Anything like that occur this year in the process and a guy that you just couldn't believe was there because because of some odd circumstances? I think there was a few guys this year, one of them being Steel Walker in the second round. Um, I think we all, as a room, as a as a staff, evaluated Steel as, as a mid-first-round type player. Uh, so we had a, a, one of our Midwest cross-checkers, Garrett Guest, was, was adamant that this is the player for us and uh, pounded the table, and, and he was all in on the player. And, and when you have a scout that does that, when you have a scout that's that passionate about a player and, and has had to as much success as what Garrett has had in scouting that you listen to him and, and he was all aboard. So that player was a little bit shocking that he was available for us in the second round. Uh, I know that we all kind of expect him to go beforehand. And, you know, there's a few others. There's a group of right-handed pitchers there from around about 12 to 15 that we took that we were all really happy were available. And I don't think any of us expected them to be, to be available at that spot in the draft. So, this draft always there's always twists and turns to it. There's always guys that you're not expecting to get there, and, and you kind of look when they do get there, and you look around the room and go, okay, what are we missing? What's wrong? You know, let's try to find out whatever we can. So, uh, you know, once all those boxes are checked, all the questions are answered, then we just proceed in taking the player. Was there a specific position group that you kind of wanted to stock up on and did that, or was there one that you didn't know you were going to stock up on and you ultimately did? Not necessarily. I, I don't think we went into this with with the thoughts of we got to get this position or that that position or we need to provide depth here. It was more of just letting letting the draft flow organically to where we feel uh, it, the value is there, and that's kind of what we were looking for in each round. Where where in each round can we get a player that our scouts had valued higher than this? Where can we add uh, what we we felt was prospect value? And and in turn, um, with the the work that Rick's done as far as putting together this this organization and this farm system, there's so much depth to it that I think no matter what we were going to add, it was going to be more depth pieces than need pieces. And and those things are just that that's one of the the benefits to where we are right now as an organization. So. When we add guys like uh, Kelvin Modenato, our shortstop, and we had Lency Delgado, a high school shortstop, as well as Cabrera Weaver, a high school outfielder, you know, those are depth pieces that we can wait on, and we can we have time with those those guys. So we are in a luxury right now where we can do that, and, and I think uh, that's 
that's actually the fun part for me and my job is that now we can kind of spread this out, take a few of these younger guys and let them develop a little bit. The uh, the Kopech conversation has calmed down a little bit as the walks have piled up, but his last start he had 10 strikeouts. Um, here you and Rick always mention checking boxes and forcing our hand. With the Kopech situation, I'm not asking you when is he going to be called up exactly, but but what are you talking about specifically when, when you guys say that? Well, I think I think for the most part when – when Rick says that, it, it, it's mainly to make sure that you, you want these players to go through the struggles at the minor league level and work through them, understand how to get through tough spots rather than having to do it on, on the biggest stage. Now, there's going to be things that are going to happen naturally at the major league level that they're going to have to learn to fight through and they're going to have to learn to adjust to. And, and that's with every player, no matter what they do at the minor league level. Uh, but you want to try to get as many of those things worked out at the minor league level as possible. Look, in years past, we haven't had the ability to do that. We've had to rush guys here, and, and there's been uh, there's been a numerous amount of players that, that have learned on the fly at the big league level. Now we're in a luxury that we can do that. We can sit and wait a little bit longer. We can wait a month or two longer, um, even a year sometimes longer, just to make sure that players went through all of the things that we feel he has to do, and, and whether that's a pitcher and having to throw more off-speed pitches or more strikes or, or learn how to pitch out of the stretch, hold runners, whatever it may be, or, or it's a hitter learning how to move runners over, um, hit with the, hit with two-strike count, excuse me, two-strike count. Those types of things you want to make sure you get worked out at the minor league level. That way when they get to the big leagues, they're more just worried about adjusting to big league pitching and the lights and, and the glamour of, of playing in front of 20,000, 30,000 people a night. And that was one of the headlines with the Madrigal selection. Oh, look look at how many times he strikes out. It doesn't happen a whole lot. Uh, We were talking about that at length earlier in the show, just the approach at the plate, just something nowadays isn't discussed a whole lot. Uh, What is the organization's philosophy on strikeouts and two-strike approaches? Well, well, I think at any point, and, and this comes from the top, um, Mr. Reinsdorf does not like sitting there watching guys strike out all the time. He's made that well known. So it's hard job to get them players that, that don't strike out. Um, you know, I think Getsy has implemented a lot of things at the minor league level, uh, whether it be getting off the bottom of the bat and, and choking up a little bit, uh, spreading out your stance a little bit, making sure that you're trying to put good hard contact on the ball with two strikes to keep that line moving. I think Nick Madrigal is a perfect example of that. I think yesterday, uh, this first at bat, there was a hit and run on where uh, Caden Grenier stole second and, and Nick hit perfectly behind the runner. He let the ball get deep to him and, and drove it through through the right side. So, you know, those are the things that Nick Madrigal can bring that I think really over the last couple of drafts that we've, we've really targeted in doing is taking those guys that – whether they, you know, some of these power guys, look, they're going to strike out. That's just part of the game. That's part of hitting home runs. But some of these guys that aren't true big power guys, you know, we want their walks to be up. We want their the ability to put the bat on the ball, keep the train moving, so to speak, and, and make sure we're getting it to those boppers to, you know, we want Nick Madrigal being on base when Eloy Jimenez or Luis Robert or Zach Collins come up. And, and that's what we want to happen here. So the more players like Madrigal we can add, the better. It's funny that Joe asked that question because I honestly, the minute you made that selection, my first thought was, okay, I wonder if some teams and maybe baseball in general is just now starting to swing the other way. And maybe mm-hmm. teams are starting to think, you know what, um, pitchers are going to catch up to this and the game's going to catch up to this. We're going to have to start putting the ball in play again, and maybe this is the beginning of that. Do you, I, I'm not asking you for an organizational 
philosophy necessarily on that pick. But do you think at some point the game has to start shifting back the other way? I think I think it absolutely has to. And Barry, I think the the big thing with that is, you know, you never want to be you never want to be behind the curve. You never want to be caught on the curve. You want to be ahead of it. And the the bottom line is with that is we've got to make sure that we are looking, you know, three, four years down the road. Look, the sexy thing right now is launch angle and exit velocity and all of those things. Well, the pitchers are starting to learn how to negate that by throwing higher strikes. They're pitching up in the zone more to try to eliminate guys that are trying to create their own launch angle uh, and not let it happen naturally. So it's one of the things that, you know, in doing that with a pitcher that now is going to pitch up in the zone, you got to make sure you got a guy that can put the bat on the ball and, and drive ball through the hole. And, you know, the home runs, look, the home runs are going to come. If anybody could sit here and say that when Brian Dozier or Jose Altuve were, was in the minor leagues that anybody could predict, you know, 25, 30, 40 home runs out of those guys are lying. So those things are going to come naturally in the, in the progression of a, of a kid growing up and getting stronger and coming to big league parks where the ball travels better and, and it flies. I mean, heck, just go to a guaranteed rate in the summer and you'll see enough home runs to, <laughs> to, to satisfy you. So, you know, that, that did play into the, the magical selection. Um, it's a true baseball player, and, and those types of guys are, are going to be needed for three, four years down the road when other teams are trying to catch up. We want to have, have a stockpile of those type of guys. A lot of Sox fans very excited with the work you guys have been doing, and uh, just for fun, have been writing down their 2020 White Sox rotations, and Dylan Covey has not been a part of that. And now we see... Since coming back up this year, his last four starts, he's an ERA of one two one against offenses like Boston, Milwaukee, Cleveland. What are we seeing, Nick? I mean, it's it's he's healthy. I think that's one of the big things. You know, Dylan had had battled some injuries through the course of his career, and I mean, we're still if, if everybody remembers, we're still still talking about a first round talent. He was picked one pick behind Chris Sale in high school. Um, had had a diabetes issue that was went undiagnosed until after he was drafted and decided to to stay at UCLA to get that under control before he um, came back out in the draft three years later. But you know this was a this was a very talented kid back when he was a senior in high school and you know he's battled through uh, getting the diabetes under control and getting um, you know just just overall health. He's had multiple injuries he's had to battle through. So I think we're finally seeing a healthy Dylan Kobe and and it's nice to see. I mean I don't know if anybody would have predicted a one nothing victory against Chris Sale in Boston <laughs> on a on a Friday night, but at the same time, those are the types of steps. Look, there's going to be guys that nobody's talking about that are going to become major contributors when we start when we start this thing rolling and, and start to put more wins in the category in the win category. And those type of guys are going to be the guys that that do that. We're going to have to have some of those guys step up, and and that's going to happen. And it's nice to see Dylan have the success because I think we're finally starting to see the what the pitcher that all of us as amateur scouts saw back when he was, when he was drafted out of high school. It's funny, Nick, cause I say it every week here when we have this conversation about White Sox prospects is that some very big names are going to fizzle and some unknown names are going to hit it big. And that's just the way it is with prospects. Um, is there, are, are, is there a particular guy maybe in the system that, that people don't hear a lot about that you happen to be very high on right now? Uh, there's one guy, and he's starting to get a little bit of pub here of late, but Ian Hamilton, our, uh, who's closing games down for, at Birmingham for us, has just been, has been lights out since we've gotten him. Um, 
he hasn't, there's not been many hiccups in the road for Ian. He was an 11th round pick out of Washington state in 2016. And, uh, our area scout, Robbie Cummings really liked him. He was excited about getting the player. We saw him in the Cape Cod summer league the year before in that bullpen role. So that did help us understand what we were getting. He went as a starter at Washington state and he, uh, once we got him and sent him out, we put him in the bullpen and, and he has just flown through the system. Uh, the stuff is premium. It's plus plus stuff across the board. It's, it's fastball up to 98. It's a power slider. Um, he can, he comes right at you. There's no nonsense there. So he's got back of the makeup or back of the bullpen makeup. And, and we're really excited about him and the progress he's made. And I think Jimmy Lambert's another one down in Winston-Salem who's throwing the ball extremely well. The velocity's on the uptick. And it's nice to see some of these guys flying under the radar because I think uh, here not too long, we're going to start hearing more about them. The beauty of finding somebody on the Cape, too, is that way when you, you have to tell Rick that you need to spend more time out there, you have some you have some evidence to back that up then, too. <laughs> exactly right. That was my whole reasoning behind taking him. I'm, I'm actually headed there on Tuesday <laughs> for my first of two trips up there, and I want him to think I'm working really hard, but uh, I go out on some whale-watching tours and, and catch some fish off the uh, <laughs> off the, the coast there, and, and I'll enjoy that just as much. Got to love the Cape. Gotta love the kid. What what does Omar Vizquel bring as a manager for Winston Salem? Energy, energy, energy. Um, I've yet to get down there and see him. I've got him scheduled up to to head down there right before the Team USA uh, tournament that starts at the end of June. I'm looking forward to getting down there. But uh, talking to a few of the guys that are down there playing, and they just absolutely love playing for the guy. They said the energy he brings to the ballpark every day is infectious. Um, he's always upbeat. He's very positive. Uh, he's, you know, he just loves baseball. And I think it's really rubbing off on our players. I think if you just see some of the pictures and some of the video of our guys down there in Winston and how happy they seem, I mean, it's just, it truly is. It was a terrific hire by Getsy. I, I just, I can't say enough about the job he's done here and, and adding people like Omar to the, to the organization. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun to watch that team from afar. I'm really looking forward to getting down there and seeing them in person. Hey, Nick, before we let you go, and uh, as always, we appreciate your time. You're always generous with your time here on Hit and Run. Uh, you talk about how close you get with players, and, and certainly you know Jake Berger very well. Been through an awful lot. What is his current mind state, and how confident are you that – that a year from now we'll we'll be once again simply discussing his future as a player rather than anything else. Well, if it's if it's if he can judge anything off of text messages on draft night with him grading my draft, he can say he's <laughs> in a good mind state. Uh, he was texting me more than some agents were, so um, <laughs> we need to find him a hobby. I think right now, but wow. no, Jake's Jake's actually really, really, and he really is truly in a good mindset. He's. He's itching to get going. I know that in talking with him, he can't wait to get back out there. He's This has been hard, and I mean, this would be hard for anybody. And, and to have it for a guy that's such a positive person, such an energetic person like Jake is, is probably even worse. But, you know, I think the first time it was more of a shock to the system. It was more of a, you know, disappointment. I think the second time in it happened, and it was more of just – you know, utter disbelief, I think for all of us, but especially for Jake, he just, he had a hard time at first wrapping his head around why this happened again. So, you know, about a week, week and a half after the surgery, I had a chance to talk with him and he was back to old Jake. He was excited. He was happy. He was telling me how he was going to get me into the video games to play against him. And 
I'm like, dude, I got no idea what you're talking about. But um, <laughs> he's he's just he's back to old Jake. I think he's ready to go. I know that um, he's been doing some virtual pitch recognition stuff uh, that our guys have provided him, which has helped. And you know, I just really think that I really. And rooting for Jake, not only not just the player, and obviously we're invested as an organization, yeah. but just as a person. I love the kid to death. I think he's an unbelievable kid, and you know I'm really, really rooting hard for him. That, that I can't wait to be there and see his first game coming back once he once he steps on the field. Nick, great stuff. Thanks very much. Uh, take like a day off. Take one day <laughs> off, and then get I'll back, try. And then I'll get try. back to work. All right, sounds great. Thanks, Barry. Thanks, thanks, Joe. thanks, thanks Nick. Nick. Nick Hostetler, White Sox scouting director. That's just uh, that's brutal. That's brutal. See a guy have the same injury Burger. two years yeah. in a row and just he's walking in the backyard. Yeah, and now you just how long before you can do anything again, anything at all? That's why we always talk talk about depth, and I know people are going to focus on what the first-rounders do for the White Sox because the history has mm-hmm. not treated them well, going back to before Crisale to the 90s. Um, but look at what's happening with the depth. And pr- right now, their weakest team is clearly Charlotte as far as lack of prospects outside of Kopech. But pretty soon, that Birmingham team is going to be the Charlotte team. And then Winston-Salem is going to be the Birmingham team. Another year from now, you expect it to be every level of this organization to be strong now. Speaking of Charlotte and prospects, pardon me, first-rounders, Dylan Covey, surprises. Some interesting thoughts for you about the White Sox, about the first round, and how it applies to the Cubs as well. We'll do that next when we come back on Hit and Run on the Score. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 